Oh, but it's so good to be here. I'm so glad to be here on Easter morning. Uh, when I was growing up in the church, the pastor would always say, he is risen. There you go. See, I'm not as old as my wife always tries to tell me that I am. I knew you guys would know it, but he would always say he is risen. And then the response would be, he is risen indeed. Um, the cross and the empty tomb, that is what we're here for. Uh, my goal every week is to pre- preach the cross of Jesus Christ in the empty tomb, no matter what part of the Bible we're in, because the gospel message is the most important thing. And so today being Easter, we're going to focus in a little bit on just that before and after effect that Jesus Christ can have on your life. Um, if you came to Christ or uh, a place where you put your faith in Christ later in life, you you might have a more extreme testimony, uh, a bigger turn in your life. If you knew about God and Jesus from the time you were a young person, praise God. But if we're honest with ourselves, even if we had placed faith in God at a young age, there's still kind of that before and after in the sense that when I was younger, even if I had placed my faith in Jesus Christ, like I had, I was tempted to do foolish things. So that was kind of the before the effect of the cross and the empty tomb on my life, even though I believed. And today we are going to, we're going to talk about one of the disciples who kind of has this beautiful before and after story uh, of before they met Christ, even while they were walking with Christ. And then, of course, after witnessing his, his uh, trial, his death on the cross, his burial, the resurrection, and what kind of effect that had on him. So I'm really excited. The intro that I was going to go with this morning was kind of that before and after pictures. How many of you like makeover shows? Whether they're making over a home or, or maybe somebody. I prefer the home ones. I love it when people that have all this skill that I don't have can go into this old house. And by the time they're done with it, like 60 minutes, right? I, there's this house that I'm like, wow, I would love that. And can I pay you for 60 minutes of your time to come and do it in my house? Like that's how I feel, right? It's before and after, and it's such an extreme difference. The houses, a lot of the times, look like they should just be knocked down, you know? And then they get in there, and I know it's a week or a week and a half, some of them, the, the really short ones, and other ones, it's even months. But man, you see that happen in a 60-minute time period, and you go, that's an extreme makeover. This is pretty cool. You see the before picture, you see the after picture, and you're like, these ladies and these guys have so much skill in this area and they make things just so beautiful. And maybe some of you have done that even in your own home. You buy a house here in, in DuPont per se or, or down at Stilcom or on base, maybe you're there. You get in there and you put some color up on the wall, you put your furniture in, maybe you replace some floors and you kind of have that beautiful before and after picture. And today, um, we're gonna look kind of at a story, uh, at the story I should say of, of Peter and his life. Uh, Peter was one of the disciples, and, and we're going to kind of see some of that b- before the effect of the resurrection. Because obviously you're going to say, well, wait a second, he's been walking with Jesus for about two years, and I believe he believed that Jesus was a Christ. But we'll get to more of that in a few minutes. But 
we're going to see the power of the resurrection, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the power of the cross, and that empty tomb on his life. And that powerful result that we'll see in Peter's life, I believe is the same result that you can have in your own life. Whether you placed your faith in Jesus Christ years and years and years ago, and yet you haven't really been living in the light of the resurrection, in the light of the cross, and and the reality of that. Or maybe you're here this morning and you came with a friend or a spouse, but you don't believe. Well, maybe today you'll see Jesus Christ in a little bit different uh, picture today. Because who Jesus was and what he did radically altered human existence. And we, as believers, need to live in light of that daily. We can't just coast along, running downstream with society. We need to be who Jesus has called us to be. He accomplished so much on the cross, right? What he did on the cross allows for you and I to be forgiven of our sins, Without the shedding of blood, the scripture says, there's no remission or forgiveness of sins. In other words, the reason that we can spend eternity with God the Father in heaven, once our time here on earth is over, is because of the cross. And so I just hope this weekend, this Easter, maybe you'll see Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, his disciples, in a little bit different light than you had before. And and maybe you've got a great grasp on this. I pray this morning that you'll just be encouraged. So let's examine uh, Peter, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, and, and, and we'll look at three different areas in his life, or three different stories. I would love to look at them all with you, but then I should have brought lunch and dinner, and we could have just been here all day. But what we're going to do is just look at three snippets of his life, his greatest failure, his witness of the empty tomb, and finally his redemption and restoration at the hands of a loving Savior. Now, all four of the Gospels uh, talk about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right there at the beginning of the New Testament, they all have information about his death and his burial and his resurrection. But today we're going to look at uh, the book of John. We're going to use some of the passages out of there for reference. So if you're following along in your own Bible, you can open up to John. Uh, If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, we have some back on our information table. Let that be a gift from us to you. You can even get up now and go back there and grab one of those if you want. There's some great apps on your phone uh, that that allow you to even highlight things and you can take notes in your note section. Um, But yeah, we just want you to feel comfortable here today. So if if a Bible is something that you need or would like, we want to invite you to do that. But let's set the stage here real quick before we dive in to John. Peter is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He's lived with, journeyed with, laughed with, cried with Jesus for about two years at this point. Peter has been witness to a, a ton of miracles in these two years, right? Um, Jesus has given sight to the blind. He's healed the sick. He's healed paralytics who have never walked before. He's cast out demons. He's even raised someone already from the dead, right? Lazarus. And Peter witnessed all those things. Peter was a devout disciple. He listened to Jesus' teachings. 
He not only was, was along for the ride to see the things that Jesus was doing, but he was listening to kingdom talk. I love the, the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount and all those things. And I wonder what it would have been like to have heard that firsthand. I think Matthew did a great job writing all those things down. But man alive, to hear those things taught, the life-changing power that's in the words that we get to read, man, it would have been incredible to see that. And Peter saw that. He knew about the kingdom of God. Now, Peter was also the only human being to ever walk on water. You remember that story? I remember from being a little kid, but the reality of it, uh, reading about it in the gospels, incredible. There was a storm. The disciples were afraid. Jesus comes out to meet them. He's walking on the water and Peter's the one that's got the big enough mouth and the big enough faith to say, Hey Jesus, that looks like a lot of fun. Can I come out there with you? And Jesus says, yes. And, and, and Peter steps out of the boat and starts walking. And then he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he starts looking at the waves and, and he starts to, to go under. He starts to drown and, and they save him and pull him back into the boat. And I love preaching on that text because that's you and I. We place our faith in Jesus. We keep our eyes locked on him. We can go through anything in this life. But when we start looking at the stuff that's going on all around us in the world, right? We're distracted by everything else other than Jesus. And then we start to drown. I mean, I love, again, preaching on that. But he was the only guy to ever walk on water, right? Jesus and Peter. And, and Jesus is God, so it's Peter only. The second thing that he's known for that he was kind of a first of or the only, not really the only, but he could only be the first one, I guess. But he's the one that testified that Jesus was the Christ, the son of God. Now others may have thought it, but Jesus was brave enough to put his faith into words. He opened his mouth. It's documented in scripture that he recognized Jesus as the Christ, the one who was promised, the one who was sent. You are the son of God. And that's a huge acknowledgement. And yet, as Jesus was preparing the disciples for his own death on the cross, Jesus told Peter that he would deny him three times. Peter simply could not believe it. And yet, in John 18, where we're going to start today, the tragic prediction comes true. So let's turn to John 18. We're going to read a little bit first and then we'll dive into kind of the story and then we'll have a couple more sections, but here we go. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did the other disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple who was known by the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So real quick, I should have said this uh, originally. This is after Jesus was arrested, right? So this is Jesus being brought in to, to trial. It says that two disciples followed him and we know that it's Peter and we know that this other disciple is John because that's the way John talks about himself in his own uh, book that he wrote uh, about Jesus' time here on this earth. So let's keep going, but it's Peter and John. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. 
Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Now he's watching the trial from a distance. Okay. The next few verses, I'm going to skip 19 to 24, but that's some of the trial that's going on. Peter has been invited inside the courtyard. John made sure that could happen. The girl says, Hey, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And he says, no, I'm not. And then he's standing there warming himself. We're going to jump forward now to verse 25. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So he's still standing by the fire. It's a cool night. And they say to him, You also are not one of the disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had just cut off the night before asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. Now we talked about, we were going to start where Peter's biggest failure, Peter, the big mouth, the best friend, was telling Jesus the night before, I will go with you to death. And, and Peter kind of gets put in his place by Jesus and says, no, you'll actually deny that you own, uh, know me before the rooster crows, not just once, not twice, but three times, right? We know that story. And here we see that it's taken place. I love Matthew's account of this. If you're reading through the gospel of Matthew, Uh, He writes, then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Simon Peter was a smart, brave, loyal servant of Jesus for two years. And in one instant, he caved in fear of what might happen to him if he associates himself with Jesus, and he denied that he knew his best friend. In fact, the night before when Jesus did tell Peter that this was going to happen, Peter got ticked off and said it would never happen. Even saying, though the rest of these guys, pointing at the other disciples around the table, they may fall away. I will not. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Now these are big statements made by a man who loved Jesus and I'm sure in his heart at that time thought he would keep those. But here we have it. The story tells that he denies knowing Jesus three times before the rooster crows. John is the only gospel writer to point out that the third person that asked him, don't you know Jesus? Aren't you with Jesus? Was someone who recognized Peter from the night before when Jesus was arrested in the garden. And how did he know him? Well, he was the relative of the man who Peter had cut off the ear. And the only reason that the, the, the man, the soldier wasn't dead is because Peter was no good with the sword, right? He comes swiping at him. He didn't mean to cut off his ear, but that's all he gets. And then Jesus heals that man right there in front of the rest of the soldiers the disciples that hadn't quite scattered yet, right? And we know that from the story of the night he was betrayed. And this, of course, had happened while Jesus was being arrested and was being taken to this court. And and Peter, you know, he's brash and he's loud and and he's going to defend Jesus, not only with his words, but with that sword, 
And, and yet Jesus knew this had to happen. I've got to go to the cross. And so Jesus knew that was the plan all along. He healed the man's ear, like I said, and then he went to face the deceitful, spineless accusers, eventually walking straight towards his death on the cross. And, and what a change from the sword-wheeling follower that Peter was the night before to a man who then denied even knowing him at all. And so what's the point of this first story? Well, I think it's pretty simple. Even the great Peter who would fail to follow Jesus at this moment, was it, the, the, that his ability to, and to be the corner, or, or to be uh, uh, one of the leaders of the church, the early church, was because what happened next, the cross and then the resurrection and the effect that it had on Peter's life. And we're going to get to look at that. Without the cross, without the resurrection, he wasn't able to do this. He hadn't experienced that yet, and yet he's about to, and we're going to see what happens. You and I, we can't earn our way to heaven. We talk about that all the time. We, we need to lean on the cross. We need to rely on the blood of Jesus that was shed for you and I to cover our sin and our rebellion. No matter how good you think you might be, you can never measure up to God's standard. And yet the good news is Jesus Christ, the cross and the empty tomb. We can't just try hard enough to live a holy life because we will follow short or fall short. No matter how we follow him, we will fall short. So I'm not good enough. You're not good enough to get to the place where we can earn salvation an entrance to heaven, eternity with God the creator without the cross. And that's what Peter needed in his life, the cross and the empty tomb to get to the place where he will be at the end of the story we're telling today. Jesus had to die, but because he died, we can now follow him, right? Peter was able to follow him with a new uh, view on who Jesus was and why he came. Peter's immense failure uh, will be something that will be kind of in the back of our mind as we continue to look at these next couple of days. Because this is before Jesus died on the cross. This happened. Peter realized it. He went outside and wept. We see this as his greatest failure in his life. He's going to watch, though, from a distance these next few days. He's going to see Jesus uh, convicted of false claims, sent to the cross, and ultimately die the most cruel death. And then he will see his friend buried in a tomb and know that Jesus is buried in a tomb. And that tomb was sealed with a massive stone. And what's the feeling that's going on in Peter's mind as he remembers the last thing he did was deny Jesus, deny knowing him. I can imagine there was some hopelessness involved in these next 48 to 60 plus hours for Peter because he had failed Jesus in a most cowardly way at a time where he could have stood up for him. That first Good Friday was only spiritual, emotional and, 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 and anguish, spiritual and emotional anguish for Peter. Saturday had to have even been worse. 
Jesus was taken from the cross. He was, he was buried. He, the, the, the tomb was sealed with a large stone. But, like we all like to say, especially the week before and on good uh, Friday evening services, talking with our family, hold on, Sunday's coming. And so we're going to fast forward now in, for the second story to Easter morning. The empty tomb. John 20, if you're following along with me, we're just popping a little bit ahead. Verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, who we know is John, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. Mary Magdalene didn't know what was going on at this point. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple, John here is being humble, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and they saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Peter sees hope in the cloths lying there on that slab where Jesus should have been. There was empty cloth. The face cloth, it says, was, that had been on Jesus' head was neatly folded by itself. Peter sees these things. And I think he's finding hope here. The tomb was empty. Jesus was not there anymore. I believe that both these guys know that Jesus isn't dead anymore. But they're still trying to figure out what's going on. Now realize this was all foretold in in scripture. Plain as day for anybody to read. If you've read through the Old Testament or if you've gone through some of the prophetic works, you'll see that, that the prophecy of Jesus' death was from the beginning. And that he would rise again. But nobody had grasped that yet. The cross and the empty tomb changed everything. We don't worship Jesus Christ who was killed and buried and his bones or dust is still there today. Now, there was probably a a burning question going on in Peter's mind because what had he been thinking about the last 48 hours plus? His failure, his denial of his savior. Could Jesus ever forgive me? Right, he sees that Jesus is alive or he's hoping that he is, but... But I failed him. Now, many of us have asked that same question. If, if you're like me and you failed the Lord, you may ask yourself, with everything I know, with how long I've believed, I should be better than this. I should be smarter than this. And you put this pressure on yourself. And then you start believing the lies of the world. Jesus couldn't forgive me for this, for this sin, for thinking this way, for acting this way. If God knows everything, he knows my heart behind my statements or my actions. 
you know, I, I've got to be in serious trouble, right? How could he ever forgive everything that I've done? And depending on how long your before was, before you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, there might be some things on there that you realize were, were, were not the greatest things for you to have done. There's just no way you might think that God could ever forgive me. I've, I've definitely invited people to church before, friends of mine that will say, hey, if I show up and step inside your church door, you know, the, the, the church might burn to the ground. Right, and I always come back to them and say, "Hey, we're in a school. You're going to be fine, right? You know, we we rent the school. Come on in." But I understand there are people who think, "Man, I've done too much. There's no way that if there is a good, holy, perfect Creator God in heaven, that He could ever forgive what I've done." Well, we saw Peter before the cross, and, and now we see him at the empty tomb. But let's look at Peter after. We're going to jump a little bit more ahead to. John 21, verses 1 to 19. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going to go fishing. That's what Peter knew, right? That's what Peter knew before Jesus was fishing. And he says, I'm going back to what I used to do, right? I I, I have hope, but I haven't seen anything. I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to go back to my fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. And they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught Nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now, this was actually not the first time that this happened to Peter. If you've read the Gospels, you know. If you've watched The Chosen, uh, it, it's, it's got a lot of great stuff in there. And, and that has a pretty accurate description of this. Peter had been fishing all night. Hadn't got anything. Jesus tells him to throw it on the other side. He does. He catches a lot of fish. He says, follow me. Right? Follow me. Leave what you're doing. Follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. This is the second time this is happening. This is after Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. His partners, John and James, the son of Zebedee, were also there that first time. So there would have been three disciples that had already experienced this once. Jesus asked Peter to cast uh, the net out a ways, and, and, and he instructed Peter on where to throw the net into the sea, and, and yet he did it, and Jesus brought in the catch. The first time around, he said to Jesus, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down your nets. I mean, it's a great story. And, and in light of that story here, this second one becomes all the more amazing. That first time around when Peter hauled in those nets, there were so many fish that they had to call James and John from their boats, because all three of them were out fishing together, to get all these fish into their boat. Now, Peter realized this was a supernatural event, right? 
He knew that this was, this was something that no mere man could do. He even told Jesus, you should leave because of how sinful I am. That's what Peter said about himself. And, and yet with these few amazing words, Jesus called his first disciples. Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching men. And they brought their boats to land. They left everything and they followed him. Again, the call of Jesus, follow me. And then now we see it here a second time. Let's continue on reading here. Verse seven, that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work. He threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in on the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got on land, out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although they were so, there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he had been raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Because he said it to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, you know that I, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, He said to him, follow me. Sorry. I hope you can appreciate this because I don't think Peter does at the time. We know that Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus allowed Peter to declare his love for him three times. Jesus in this process is restoring Peter. Restoration of our broken hearts is painful and it's difficult. And yet we know and we see Jesus' faithfulness because of this story and other stories like this. 
There was a threefold rejection that was weighing heavily on Peter for the last two or three days here. And yet, Peter was able to turn this, even through that pain, into a threefold declaration of love. Jesus said to him, Do you love me? Yes, I love you. And he did that three times to symbolize the three times that Peter had denied knowing him. This man who was told he would fish for men or search for souls is now charged with also feeding his sheep. And we see that here. The nurturing of souls. The leading of the church. The development of what the church would look like and should look like. How they would look at scriptures. How they would worship God in a new way. And Jesus starts where, or finishes where he started with Peter. Follow me. As he had journeyed through the countryside, Peter had followed him. As he had seen the healings, he followed him. As he had heard the preaching, he followed him. And yet now, because of the cross and the empty tomb, Peter was able to follow Jesus in a different way. He has the power of the cross, the power of the empty tomb, the the testimony of that. And so he can follow Jesus in the way that Jesus wants him to. The way that he called him here to follow me. The same way that you and I have been called to follow Jesus. Peter had previously declared that night, on on, uh, the night that Jesus was arrested, that he would die for him. And and you see here, uh, in an ironic way, Jesus tells him, you will actually die for me. When you get old, they're going to stretch you out. Uh, and, and maybe where you don't want to go, not maybe, but where you don't want to go. And, and that was again, a prophetic utterance of the way that Peter would die. Uh, Peter was crucified on a cross upside down because he didn't want to die the same way his savior died. But before that, I have work for you to do. And that's what we see here in this story is the saving power of Jesus Christ for good works for Peter. And that's so important. Peter's life was radically changed by Jesus. He went from a poor fisherman to a fisher of men. He went from a coward who denied Jesus to a hero of the faith. And that led to the early church. And eventually, like I said, as Jesus predicted, he died a martyr's death. But again, none of that would have been possible if it weren't for what Jesus did On Friday, dying on the cross, and on Sunday morning, rising again. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you too can have a radical before and after story. We look at Peter's and we say, well, that's incredible. He walked with Jesus, and yet you and I have been called to walk with God just the same. And we need to live a life that allows that to play out, allows that to be real. Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus died a sinner's death. That was for you. That was for me. And because you and I have lived a sinful life, you and I deserve a sinner's death. But because of the gospel, the story, the plan, God offered up his son in our place. And that's what Jesus' death was all about that was the great substitution he took our place if you believe in what Jesus did 
and who he is, you can be forgiven. And many of you out there have already believed that and declared that. And you've exchanged your filth, your sin, and your rebellion for his righteousness. And that's a gift that he's offering to anyone. If you haven't made that decision and you want to today, you can. Just sitting there in the privacy of your own hearts. Just acknowledge, hey, I'm a sinner. And you're perfect. And I need what you have. And I don't know why you would take what I have or be willing to cover that. And yet that's what we see in scripture. And God did this. He planned this. Jesus is alive and well today. And he has a life of purpose and reward that he's prepared for you. That he wants you to live in. That he wants to give to you. When you accept him and receive him, you're also receiving that life. Jesus' death on the cross was predicted in scripture all the way back to Genesis 3. After the fall, God said, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, between her seed and you. You shall, uh, or he shall bruise your head. He will crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus was not a mere man. Jesus was God. John beautifully describes Jesus for who he is at the very beginning of his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the word. And we know that the word was Jesus. Don't have time to get into that today. But in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. John declared it from the beginning of his gospel. Jesus Christ is God. All things were made through him. And without him was nothing made that's been made. In him was life. And that life was the light from men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We, you and I, have lived a life of sin and rebellion, and we can't do it on our own. And yet Jesus Christ, because he died on the cross and was resurrected on Sunday, he has done what we cannot do. And then he has offered for us to exchange our filth and our sin and our rebellion for his righteousness. The gospel message is that simple. And yet I won't tire of telling it. We could talk about it for hours. We'll talk about it for weeks. We'll talk about it every Sunday if I have the chance. We can't get tired of that story. We can't allow that just to become a truth that we believe somewhere in the back of our minds. We need it to affect who you and I are so that we can become the men and women that have an incredible before and after story so that we can lead others to Jesus Christ and so that they can see him as their savior too. As we continue to worship today, we're going to have an opportunity to worship through communion. If you're new to the Grace Works or today you're just visiting, in the back we have a table set up with some bread and some juice. The bread representing Christ's body that was nailed to the cross and some juice to represent the blood. And what we ask is just that during this time of worship, these next few songs, that you just get up and go to the back, take a piece of that bread and dip it into the juice and then step away from the table so other people can get to it. And then take an opportunity to thank God for the cross. 
Thank God for the empty tomb. And what an incredible weekend to do it. We do it every week here at the Grace Works because I, I truly believe that the truths of communion, the truths of this weekend, the cross and the empty tomb is something we need to think about every day. Because the mark who lives without the cross is a lot different than the mark who lives under the mark of the cross. And that's where I want to be. And so we invite you to be a part of that. If you're comfortable, head to the back, celebrate communion with your family or with some friends and have that be a part of your worship experience. And then come back to your seats and we'll continue to sing. And then at the end, I'll probably hop back up here and we can talk a little bit more about the Easter egg hunt. And, and again, I, I don't want you to rush out of here. Hopefully you'll stick around and meet somebody new, talk to somebody new. But what an incredible weekend to celebrate our risen Savior.